0: Let me ask you to turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. If you're visiting with us, uh, we are uh, actually taking kind of a week out of our normal pattern. We are uh, working through the Lord's Prayer and we'll be to that next week. Uh, But once a quarter, we have a focus on global missions. And we take a Sunday or a weekend for that. We thought what a great opportunity because Friday night we had uh, the orchestra and chorus from Kiev here in our sanctuary. Uh, If you weren't here, it was a world-class concert. That is no exaggeration. Uh, It was uh, simply amazing and just showed their great love uh, for... Um, the Lord and for the arts and uh, we thoroughly enjoyed and many of you had them in your homes and uh, so we thought this is a great opportunity for us to focus on one of our focus areas which I'll tell you more about in just a moment. We read in Philippians chapter 1 beginning with verse 3 says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel for God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, how we thank you that uh, indeed you are our God and you are the God of uh, all of those throughout this world who call on you through the name of the Lord Jesus. Thank you for that. And thank you, Lord, for in a particular way leading us to people in Ukraine and them to us, that we might truly be partners in the gospel. Will you bless our time as we consider that and as we uh, continue to pray for our dear friends there. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. St. Andrew's has always been a mission-minded church. We have supported missionaries from various parts of the world. About nine years ago, we made the decision to, uh, of course, continue to be a mission-minded church, but to have what we call focus areas. Our focus areas are Bulgaria, Haiti, England, and Ukraine. Now, each of them has a story why we ended up having that as a focus area. But the idea uh, was not that we would never support anyone from anywhere else, because we do, especially if they are sent out from our congregation. And so we do have have, uh, people in various parts of the world that we are supporting And yet, it it was our desire, rather than uh, going uh, wider, to go deeper in these areas. To get to know them better. To support more missionaries and church planters and nationals in all of those areas. To send teams to those areas, so that we would know them and they would get to know us. So that, yes, we could minister to them but also they would minister to us. Now, why Ukraine? First of all, notice I say Ukraine, not the Ukraine. The reason for that is that uh, it was called the Ukraine when, when it was under the Soviet Union. And so, if you're talking uh, with people from Ukraine, and you say the Ukraine, you might get a little cringe because they are not under the Soviet Union. They are an independent country. Now, that's a a very common mistake, and you even hear it on the news and uh, with uh, people in government and so on, but because they are our friends, uh, we will use that term although I will admit that I might even slip up once in a while. So why Ukraine? After the Berlin Wall came down and the breakup of the Soviet Union, there were a number of Christian organizations that came together. This was back, of course, in the 90s. Uh, Those organizations uh, formed what were called the Co-Mission, the Co-Mission And they uh, gathered together, and they were uh, able to go into these countries that had been closed for many, many years. In fact, they were invited into those countries, and they were uh, not only allowed to talk about Christ, they were invited into the public schools and universities to talk about ethics from a Christian perspective. Who is on the throne here? Of course, God. What an amazing opportunity. And so, when that happened, St. Andrews was well represented in Ukraine. Joey and Fran Parsons, Chip and Frankie Watson's daughter, the Parsons' son, were sent out and went to Ukraine. They went for a year and then ended up going back again. They were supported by our church. In 94, uh, a group of eight missionaries from our denomination went to Belgorod, Dnevstrovsky. I can't say that last part very well, so I'm only going to say it once. So we're just going to say Belgorod, or BD, as we sometimes say. Say. They went there to present a morals and ethics program in the area schools. And in God's wonderful providence, a number of the interpreters that were atheists, but they were hired to interpret, came to Christ. You see, they they kept interpreting and and saying what uh, these Christians from America were saying. And God used that to put it into their hearts. And a number of them came to Christ. That was the story all over the former Soviet Union. They began to have their own Bible study. One of them described it this way. Our Bible studies were full of life. We led the studies in in turn and were discovering the truth. I remember very well the day when we studied the Gospel of John and I realized very deeply the fact that Jesus died for me and He loves me. In the prayer of repentance, we confessed our sins to the Lord and received Jesus as our Lord and Savior. That's why we have a partnership in the Gospel with them. That same Gospel that we who are in Christ here profess because we saw our need for Him because of our sin that we couldn't save ourselves. That's what they saw, and, and that's how they came to Christ. That Bible study began meeting as a church for worship in 1997 with Sergei Betten as the pastor. Sergei had been, uh, was married to Luda, who was one of the interpreters. Sergei was an atheist. Luda came to Christ. Sergei came to Christ. He is now the pastor of that church. And by the way, Luda is still uh, one of our main interpreters. When I preach over there or teach, she is next to me making my sermons better uh, uh, and speaking in Russian. Shortly after, some Christian doctors, including Dr. David Kuhn from our church, went over there and began seeing patients. Since that time, he's been there 18 times, and Brenda 16 times as well. Now, folks, in terms of short term missions, that's a focus area and that's going deeper and that's why we have friends there and that's why they consider us their friends as well eventually after they, they began seeing patients eventually uh, a building was purchased and they opened a clinic in 1998 Adams gonna tell you more about that what's happened since it has become one of our focus areas we have had seven trips there each year through 2013, and then we know what has happened since then, and uh, we, haven't, uh, we haven't been able to go over in the last couple of years. We've had at least 40 members of St. Andrews go to Ukraine, and some of us have gone more than once or even several times. Let me tell you uh, about the church and its pastor. The unique needs in Ukraine... When we went uh, there, the, the first trip I went on and we had a, 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 a group go uh, after it was one of our focus areas, we went, met with Adeline Wallace, who was a Mission to the World missionary, to orient us, as she did with every trip that went there. She made this statement, you will see that life here in general is hard. It was interesting, uh, we kept a couple of the Ukrainian uh, uh, singers at our home, and I at one. It was her first trip to the United States, and I said, "What What are your impressions so far?" And uh, she said, "Life here is so much easier." That's that's not just their impression, but uh, Adeline said that as well. And what she she Adeline pointed out was the driving. It's it's bad. It's dangerous. Uh, they have bad and dangerous roads. Um, Housing, small, undependable utilities, the economy, the money was not worth much. And that was way back then. now it has really, as you can imagine, uh, tanked to the 16 grivna to a dollar. And their prices haven't gone down. And so uh, they are struggling in, in massive ways. Um, they, don't, they don't make much. Security for the future for them is, is not what they think about. They think about today, having enough for today and, and tomorrow. Limited availability of goods and services, unproductive work ethic, health concerns, and on and on. It's harder to do everything in Ukraine Adeline went on to explain this. She said, things don't work very well here. That's a result of many years without God. Now, let's not take any pride that things are better here because we are more godly or anything like that. And yet, that was her assessment. But with all of that, with all of those difficulties... Their their greatest need is for Christ. The Russian Orthodox Church is by and large just dead orthodoxy. Bible preaching, gospel believing churches are few and far between. I am convinced when Joey and Fran Parsons went to Belgorod in 94, God had a plan for St. Andrews to uh, be involved in, in the church, which at that time was only a dream. When Dr. Kuhn went uh, on his first trip and first saw patients, I am convinced that God wanted St. Andrews to be involved with Belgorod and with Ukraine. I saw a number of parallels uh, that I see every time I've been there, but certainly the first time these struck me between our churches. If you go to Belgrade. Um, one of the things they will take you to is the fortress. You, you'll see that on our mission wall. We've all been there. Anybody that's been there has gone to see the fortress. They're very proud of it. It's, it's a, an ancient fortress that has been taken over by a number of different um, countries and so on through the years. But uh, they told us that legend had it that Christianity was brought to them by Andrew. I, I couldn't help But think, St. Andrews was still ministering in that area. We went to the church building, which the first time we went, it was a shell, and we did work on it inside. And I looked out the window, and there was a railroad track with a train on it. I said, well, we are all very parallel here. Presently, they are housing refugees from eastern Ukraine in their church and clinic building. Those are two different buildings. There is a section of land some 30 miles from where they are, where the Russians are. We don't hear that on the news, but they know they, that they are there. And they are praying about how to minister to the people living in the church and the clinic. In our vision 2017 we talk about building bridges to our community. Mark Rattray is going to tell you about a bridge that we've been able to build to the church and community in Belgorod.
1: So my Ukraine experience began after several years of gentle encouragement from David and Brenda Kuhn that I needed to go. I finally gave in and went on what would be my first of five trips to Ukraine. In addition to Dr. Kuhn's work in the clinic, that particular team was primarily a work team that helped in the construction of the church's sanctuary. Yes, believe it or not, I was on my hands and knees alongside people who actually knew what they were doing cutting boards and screwing them to the floor. Our project on that team was to complete the chancel area floor in the sanctuary. Little did I know that God would send me back multiple times to lead worship, sing, conduct choirs, and lead music camps from that very floor. To God alone be the glory. On that first visit, I ran into something that was unexpected. I anticipated seeing poverty and rundown conditions due to the after effects and the years of communist rule under the Soviet Union, that was not a surprise to me. The people were the surprise. Dear saints that I immediately found myself falling in love with, people who, when I was growing up, were once part of what America called the evil empire, our enemies. And yet, in spite of that, and in spite of not speaking the same language or even having the same alphabet, sharing almost absolutely nothing in terms of culture or background, here we were, smiling, laughing, sharing meals, working together, and worshipping alongside one another. How was this possible? I felt as though I had more in common with and more affection for these Ukrainians who I had just met than I do with many of my neighbors down the street." It appears from our scripture reading today that Paul found himself in a similar situation. After all, the Philippian church was a Gentile church. From an earthly perspective, Paul had nothing in common with these folks. On the contrary, in his former understanding as a religious leader, he would have called them dogs. They were not fit to interact with God's chosen people. And as an outpost of the Roman Empire, as Roman citizens, they were the enemy, part of the occupying nation that Israel hated and fought against. How on earth could Paul begin his letter with what we read earlier with these words of such deep affection? Was he just speaking Christian jargon? Was he just saying what he was supposed to as a good pastoral figure? Oh, no. He really, deeply loved these folks. Paul explains the phenomenon. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul loved them because despite all the hostilities, cultural and national differences, they had in common, even as Dale has already pointed out, the one thing that really mattered, Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, we must be very careful, especially in these politically charged days ahead of us, not to forget where our true citizenship lies. For if you belong to Christ, you are first and foremost a citizen of the kingdom of God. And this kingdom is not some pie-in-the-sky reality that we will experience in heaven one day. No, this kingdom is alive and well and extends to the farthest reaches of the globe. It is the greatest and truest kingdom on the planet today and is comprised of people of every race and nationality and language. Satan, the great deceiver, would have us believe that this kingdom is reeling on its heels, that it is in retreat and somehow it is weaker than it used to be. Don't believe it, Christian. Stop looking at your circumstances and lift your eyes to the hills. For our help is not to be found in the kingdoms of this world. Our help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. John testifies that the kingdom of the world will become, we could say is becoming, the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. This truth The victory of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the hearts of men and women around the globe is the only possible explanation for ten Americans from South Carolina weeping on the final day of a missions journey to Ukraine at the thought of leaving loved ones after only having met them eight days earlier. The bond of the Spirit of Christ is the only possible explanation for stomachs turning in knots upon hearing of Russia's invasion of a country where our dear friends live. The covenant of grace that bonds us together as one in Christ is the only possible explanation that at the mere mention of names like Victor, Sveta, Vanya, Sergei, Anya, Vlad, Luda, Vitali, Katya, Nadia, that our hearts are warmed and filled. The church transcends culture, language, skin color, nationality, borders, and political ideology. This is the supernatural work of the gospel. We are one in Christ, and so our hearts are knit together in that common bond. Even while I was there on that first trip, I began to think about how I could return to serve the church in Ukraine in some way, to minister to these new people that I loved. What could I do? How could I use my talents and skills to help these new loved ones in another part of the world. After all, there were these barriers of language and culture. How could I partner with them in the gospel? I felt helpless as one who couldn't speak or understand them. As I reflected upon the Ukrainian people, it occurred to me that even though they had nothing in monetary terms, even though their economic and political systems had completely crumbled, They were immensely rich in culture and knowledge. Bright, thoughtful people who knew great literature, music, art, and the sciences. A people whose outward circumstances did not match at all their inside intellect and affections. The Lord began to open my mind to the thought of using music as a means of ministry and outreach in Ukraine. As an art form, music transcends language and culture. It speaks to the core of humanity. Wedded with the transcendent nature of the gospel, it is a divinely appointed tool that we use here each week to worship God. Music could be a wonderful way to draw those in the community into the church who wanted more for their children than their current surroundings. And what better place to redeem this gift from God than in the church? The believers in Belgrade had already had a wonderful facility with good instruments and a tradition of music, The music camp seemed a great fit for both outreach and continuing development among the believers there. And so began a relationship with the arts as a bridge between our two countries and our two churches. As the gospel broke down the barriers to love and worship, so we found music to break down the barrier of language and culture. On our first musical team in 2008, 12 folks from St. Andrews joined with a couple other church choirs from our denomination, to form a choir with several professional soloists and organists as well, doing outreach for the local churches in concert hall venues throughout the entire western half of the country of Ukraine. But the highlight for the St. Andrews members of that team was to participate in the dedication service of the sanctuary in Belgorod that we had all worked on and had prayed for for so long. Subsequently to that, we took 10 member teams in 2011 and 2013 to conduct music camps as an outreach for the church in Belgrade, each time deepening relationships and furthering our partnership in the gospel. Stemming from these relationships that had formed, we had the privilege of having an intern in the worship and arts ministry come here from that church, Vanya Pushkarevsky, a young man that made his way into the hearts of a number of you after spending two summers here with us. This musical bridge has had several other pilings holding it up through the years, from providing funds for organs in sanctuaries in Ukraine, to donating St. Andrew's choir robes that we no longer needed to the choir in Belgrade, to our organ, having a sister organ, in the church in Odessa, Ukraine, and to hosting the Ukrainian Nationals of Music Mission Kiev, now twice in our artist series, What a magnificent night we shared together on Friday. The theme of our music camps in Ukraine has appropriately been the Latin phrase, Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. For how else could these miraculous relationships be formed and sustained through the years? So where do we go from here? What does the musical bridge between St. Andrews and the Evangelical Presbyterian Church of Belgorod look like? I have no idea. But what I do know, according to the letter to the Philippians, is that this partnership in the gospel from the first day until now isn't finished. That he, our Lord Jesus Christ, who began a good work both in the believers in Ukraine and here in Irmo, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And it is my prayer that our love for one another, even as Paul's, and for our Ukrainian brothers and sisters may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that we may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God.
2: It occurred to me as I was sitting over there that there is every opportunity that in the next few minutes, all I do is repeat what was just said. Um, that's sort of an intimidating thing. I didn't anticipate that when we were discussing doing this. Um, and so I've simply gone from two and a half pages of a script that I was planning to present to you to a page with a few notes on it. Um, so bear with me. This could be fun. Um, I would actually like for you to turn to Acts 16 real quick. Uh, Acts 16. While you're turning there, I'm going to tell you how I ended up going to Ukraine. It's it's not an extraordinary story. It's very simple. We were in early 2007, uh, right over in here, sitting in a combined Sunday school class. We pulled into the parking lot, came inside, sat down on the gray padded chairs, and listened to a man from Ukraine tell us about his church there. And In the course of that time, um, a man talking about about a place I had never wanted to go, Um, Ever need you to understand that. Um, Ukraine was not on the short list of places I wanted to go. It it wasn't on the long list of places that I wanted to go. Surely there is a church plan happening somewhere more appealing than that. But in that moment, as I was listening to this man talk about building bridges to his community, about being a light for Christ in his neighborhood, using very broken English to describe a ministry that sounded just like our church, I was drawn into that. As He's doing the exact same thing there that we're trying to do here. And in the course of that, he took Q&A from the the crowd, which is always dangerous. And somebody asked him, what are some of the needs that you have? And so I'm thinking he's going to ask for money. He's going to ask for pastors to come over and do training. He's going to ask for... Experienced missionaries who can come, maybe an interpreter to come and help. And I don't know any Ukrainian or Russian, so I was going to be off the hook. Uh, Instead, he, the first thing he said, very first thing he says, we have a great need for an electrician. (laughs) I'm like, you got to be kidding me. This is the worst Sunday school class ever. and so in that moment, I look at Laurie, uh, she's sitting beside me. We had begun praying earlier in that year, sort of as, as providence would have it, um, that God would open our eyes, that he would show us, that he would lead us, that he would direct us in where to go. And in that moment, I looked at her and she looked at me and all I could think is, oh, this is not good. <laughs> and so I, I talked to the team leader who was also in that room and knew my background, and she was ecstatic that Sergey had mentioned that specific need and so we went and we were the Bad News Bears version of a work team I don't know how else to say that. We had a pastor, a worship and arts director, a medical doctor, an engineer, and a bunch of willing hearts that went over there. And it was a ragtag crew but we got got it done. In Acts 16 uh, we see the foundation, sort of the strange beginnings of the church there in Philippi and I'm going to read just some portions of that to you but beginning in Acts uh, 16 beginning in verse 13 this is Paul and his friends it says on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her whole household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Stop right there for a second. So Lydia is um, she is of society. She's a person of stature. Right? I've, I've heard her called a fashionista. We're told she's a seller of purple goods. She's got a house in Thyatira. She's living here in Philippi at the moment. She obviously has a house there because she's inviting Paul and, and, and his guys to come and stay with her. So she is someone of substance. And the Lord opens her eyes. She is baptized and her entire household with her. Now, that's the beginnings of the Philippian church right there. A little riverside prayer group of women. That becomes the foundations of the church in Philippi. Hang with me for a minute. Let's look at what happens next. Look down in 16. It says this, As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us crying out. Listen to what she cries out. These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaimed to you the way of salvation and this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, "I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her." And it came out of and it came out that very hour. This is the slave girl this is the next step in the church at Philippi, right? This is how you will draw up the plan for planning a church. You find some women at a prayer group, and then you walk down the road and have a slave girl with a spirit of divination start following you around. And then you call her out because you're annoyed by it. By the way, she's perfectly right. If you look at what she was saying, she's perfectly right. These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. She's just saying it so often it frustrates Paul. And so he turns, casts out the spirit from her, and so the very first thing we see the church in Philippi doing is what we would describe as mercy ministries. She's looking at the weak, looking at the marginalized of society, looking at those people who would be overlooked, and he's reaching out and doing what only he can do in that moment is cast out that demon. We have no knowledge of what becomes of the slave girl past that, but this is the outreach arm of the church there in Philippi. Look down in verse 25 here. It doesn't go well for Paul, by the way. After he casts out this demon, there's an uproar. She had been making money for her owners. They complained to the authorities. A little bit of a riot breaks out, and then this is what happens. He gets arrested, and in 25 it says this, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Paul's just that guy. I mean, you arrest him, he starts a worship service in the jail cell, and people start paying attention. But this is and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul, but Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced, along with his entire household, that he had believed in God. We've got Lydia, right? She's, she's big time. She's the one everybody wants in the church. She's probably got money. She dresses nice. Doesn't smell bad. Let's get her into this group. The next person is the slave girl. She's the person that nobody wants in the church. She's the person that, you, that even Paul was annoyed by. Like, Paul, not your buddy Paul, the Apostle Paul, annoyed by this lady to the point that he turns around and casts out the spirit. The next person we see is this working class man, the jailer. And we see in each of these cases um, the spirit moving in a very, very powerful way. And none of this is how you would draw up starting a church. If we were to pull all of our intelligence in this moment, all of the combined years of wisdom, nobody would establish this as the model for planning a church. But I'm convinced this is exactly what God has done in Ukraine. He's followed this exact model there. He began with the, the translators, the interpreters of a Bible study. Almost all of them were women. And he started with those people, them hearing the gospel, telling their husbands, and out of that you get a pastor named Sergei. Not how we would draw it up. That's not how we would draw it up. The second person, the second thing that we did in Ukraine, or that they did in Ukraine, was they started a Christian clinic there to oversee the medical needs of a community that had, for lack of a better term, it was lacking. They couldn't do it. In 1998, that clinic opened its doors and began seeing people in 2000. They had over 5,000 people that they helped that year. By 2003, that number had grown to over 10,000 patients. That This little clinic that also served as the church building and as the residence for teams to stay in had seen over 10,000 thousand people. If you're into math, that's about twenty-seven people a day, considering three hundred and sixty-five days in a year. It's an incredible number of people. Right next to the clinic sits an orphanage. So what does the church do after worship on Sundays? Let's go visit the orphans. Let's start ministering to the orphans. Not only the orphans there, but also the staff of the orphanage. Once you begin inviting or going to an orphanage and seeing the needs there, you can't help but understand the needs that go before a child is born. And so very quickly, they began to address this issue. What do we do about the rampant abortion in our country? So they started the Life Care Center in Ismail, Ukraine, which is still up and running today, fighting for the rights of our unborn children. You see, nobody is off limits when it comes to the gospel. Like, nobody, nobody in your world right now is off-limits because of the gospel. God can use you in those places. Diversity of people produces a diversity of ministry opportunities, and that's what we've seen in Ukraine over the last 21 years. Look back at Philippians 1 again. knowing the bonds that exist between St. Andrews and the church in Belgorod, knowing the similarities in ministry that we all pursue. Listen to what Paul says. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Back in the first century, this is how God planted a church in Philippi. Unorthodox, not by design, no book laying it out on how to do it. In the early 80s here in Columbia, South Carolina, he decided to do that with a group of people at St. Andrews. In the 90s, he did it with a group of people in Ukraine. The common denominator in all these things is the gospel and hearts willing to be obedient to the gospel call. All the nuts and bolts work themselves out in a variety of ways. In the end, he's going to look at you and ask you to go. Maybe across the street, maybe across the country. You might just find yourself in Ukraine. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, there's no denying that what you do here is extraordinary. God, I pray that you would open our eyes to see that. Help us not to be complacent in our own walks, Lord. Help us to be obedient to your will every day, every moment. God, help us to be a people who pay attention, who see what's happening and are willing to follow your lead. God, I pray that you would do that. We do ask your blessing on our partners in Ukraine this morning. As they have been together for worship, God, would you renew their spirits? Would you remind them that they have people who love and care for them, that are praying for them, who want to come back and see them? Lord, I pray that you would do that. In Jesus' name, amen.